moving. That means we are rolling. How is things, Dave? Uh, very well. What are we doing right now? Is this the intro? Yeah, this is yeah, intro. Okay, yeah, great. this is the intro to the Guinness show. Sure. So we did this last week as well, or last episode, where we introed Kaiju before recording Guinness. Exactly right. So now we're introing Guinness after we've recorded our next show. Yeah. Stay with us, listeners. It's getting, pro- it's getting complicated. We probably cool. shouldn't even mention it and just pretend. But anyway, we are sitting at Inner North Brewery, which is a brand spanking new brewery uh, in Brunswick. Yeah, when you suggested that we do this show, I had never heard of it. I had never heard of it until um, Zach emailed me. Uh, so I know Zach, who's the founder of this, when he founded uh, Henry Street, which is in Kensington. Uh, and then he mentioned that he'd left and he was going to launch a new project. And he emailed me this week and said, launching this. Um, and I said, let's do a podcast. So here we are, uh, really enjoying the beers. Uh, we talk about the space a lot, which you're going to hear in two weeks about the, the actual brewery space. Yes. The bar space. It's so nice. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, Like this is the exact kind of brewery bar that I want to be drinking in. Yeah, I think it's the product of... Planning and preparation, knowing what you want to get out of your space and lessons learned. Yeah. Uh, he he kind of mentioned Stomping Ground off mic in terms of Stomping Ground paid a lot of money or like worked on getting an aesthetic similar to this. Yeah, yeah. And there is definitely a similar aesthetic. Yeah. But he had the fortunate kind of, um, I guess, this warehouse is perfect for building this aesthetic aesthetic around 100 percent. and uh i think he mentions his partner or his wife i can't yep. remember uh, girlfriend, yep. girlfriend is responsible maybe for the aesthetic of the place yeah. but the yeah the decision to sort of just run with what they have and operate around that mm. is paid off it's beautiful uh plenty of seats at the bar as well if you're in brunswick also we talk about it's walking distance between himmelhund and foreigner so like if they're all open at the same time. I'm not sure about Hamilton's openings. Hours. They're very sporadic. They're like open on occasions, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but even between this and Foreigner, which is six minutes away. Anyway, you're going to hear more about that in two weeks' time. Good chat, yeah. Uh, we talked to Don from Guinness. We spoke last week. We were a little bit sceptical of how it was going to go. Yeah. How did it go? Great. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great chat. Yeah, obviously, he's been there for a while, knows the ins and outs of Guinness, but also knows how to talk. Yeah. Talk the talk. So um, as much as some of the answers might not have been what we were looking for, mm. they were still pretty good answers though. Yeah. I was satisfied mm. with the um, – other than the extract question that we asked. Yep. I, I Which, fine. I, his answer was fine, but you'll, you'll hear I more feel about like that. there's more to that. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, like I probably he turned, managed to turn me around on Guinness. Yeah, or, or uh, why Guinness is important, or why it is important, what they do. Y- yeah, I agree with that. And I'll, like as a youngster, I remember like one of the first times I went to the bar in my friendship group. I was the first to turn eighteen, so I had to t- I had to wait till a second person turned eighteen before <laughs> we could start doing anything. Um, and I think the first thing I did was at the year twelve. Uh, whatever you t- what's the end of year function you do whatever you, that is right me and the one of the guy that was 18 just walked away left because we were bored and found um, a pub and we had a Guinness that night and I think we just choked it down yeah you got a pint of it because it's the only way you can have Guinness but then we started to have a pint of it every St. Patrick's Day 
and then once I just started, like I got to enjoy it, mm. and once I started finding good independent beer, I sort of fell off the face of the earth. But Pinegan is if it's done well, it's pretty good. Yeah, I will say I'm a huge. I've always been a huge cynic of Guinness. Well, not always. I used to enjoy it. I worked in an Irish pub, and and my dad drank heaps of it. But you thought it was more marketing over anything else, right? Definitely. Yeah. And like their marketing is great. Yeah. It definitely. is in like a masterclass of marketing. Um, but yeah, hearing him explain why they do what they do made sense. But also, I didn't leave going. I feel like I've been tricked. You know when you, you have a conversation with someone yeah. and they're good at what they do about like a salesman and you leave and like, hang on, did I just get tricked? I don't feel like I left tricked. No. I feel like I left getting good answers to my cynicism. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we uh, just sat around having a chat about beer, drinking. I'm sure that it was the best of... Guinness because he'd just been in there schooling the yeah, yeah. Uh, venue on how to pour it, how to serve it, all that sort of mm. stuff. So we were getting the way it should taste and it was pretty good. Well, interestingly enough, so we are recording this on St. Patrick's Day. Today. What's the greeting for St. Patrick's Day? Don't know. Merry St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Um, we're not releasing on St. Patrick's Day. We probably should have released it, but whatever. Nah. Ah, it's too cliche. Yeah. Uh, but you... I guess after that experience, you ordered the Irish Stout here at... Um Not only that, I have sort of been on the hunt for a local equivalent. Yeah, nice. Uh, this is the first time I've had it. Last night, I got a couple of beers from Grape and Grain in Moorabbin. And I got the... No one's really doing anything like this at the moment. Mm. Coming out of summer, I get it. Um, but I got the Black Butte Porter from Deschutes to oh, just yeah. fill that yep. void. Yep. It was delicious last night. But... Um, yeah, when I saw that uh, they were doing a dry Irish stout for St. Patrick's Day, I was like, I think I want that. Yeah. Also doing it as a Boilermaker here. With yeah, the I saw Jameson. that with the Jameson. Yeah. Um, the Four Pines stout. Always has been good. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that, to I me, wish they didn't have the space gimmick around it. Well, let's talk about the space gimmick. Okay. Because I've got that on my news. Go for it. That's a fantastic beer, by the mm. way. I think that could be the best stout, consistently the best stout in the country. Yeah, uh, I think Hargraves Hill have always given a good stout. Uh, without much recognition, it's always been a good one. There's a couple of good ones, but that's there's definitely a huge case for that beer being uh, the best in the country. Yeah. So remember the whole space thing. It was the Good Beer Week, first Good Beer Week. Maybe was that 2012 or 2013, whenever it was. And that's when they were talking about the space stout. They were that stout was being formulated to go into space. And then they keep. They, you always see it every time they mention four, like in the media Four Pines or that stout. It talks about they, they brew the space beer, but it never it was never eventuated. I never found any information about it. It just didn't seem to ever happen. And I've always had in the back of my mind of like, I need to check that out. What, like what actually happened? So last week they announced that it's happening. They've finally like worked it out and they're sending it into space and you can win a trip to go into space if you sign up to their site where it's like one of those planes that goes around the top of the... Right. You know, like the zero-G planes. Just the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're doing a competition at the moment. And it's it's not... I think it's Four Pines, but it's kind of a separate brand name called Vostok. Okay. So they've been working on designing space beer for astronauts this whole time. Okay. In some way or another. And yeah, you can go to space. So it it has been happening behind the scenes for a long time. Uh, I'm probably not so people dedicated enough to 
uh, become astronauts. Are they big beer drinkers? Some of the footage I've seen of the on the space station because they're up in the space station for months. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one beer. And also, like, we're not that far away from bloody commercial trips to Mars. True, with Elon Musk and all the kinds, Ugh. just uh, jetting around Mars all the time. Oh, yeah. Musky. Yeah. Um, well, by the way, we talked about Elon Musk on the Hypothopod a couple of weeks ago. Check it oh, out. Yeah. It's a, good, a very good chat. Nice. Um, Is he a lizard? No, but there are theories. Uh, the theory that he's out of AI, he doesn't exist, and he's okay. CGI'd. Um, also, there's a theory that he murdered someone. And you know the spaceman that he sent up in the car? The footage of sure, that spaceman. That's, the person that's a real person. That's how he disposed of the body. Okay, with a massive media campaign. Yep. Got it. Just right. right and rubbing it in everyone's faces. Okay. Uh, anyway, yeah. Was so, it an enemy of his? Like, did he have reason? Did no he have one motive? actually said who it was, okay. but like, hey, that's the perfect crime. I guess it is, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so space beer is a thing. If you Google it, you can win a well, competition and a trip to space. It's likely to be a thing, yeah. yeah. You win a trip to space. Yeah. Anyway, good start. I saw it recently and they've still got that, they've still got space beer on the exactly. neck it's of so the bottle. Weird, yeah. right? And I guess, yeah, so it has been happening. As much as Four Pines have been through, it's crazy that that is still a thing they mention. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Interesting. Um, All right. Uh, new Bolter Double IPA just came out. Yes. You have one on a bag that uh, they kind enough to send, her, send Where us. Where is that bag, by the way? It's over there by the bar. Okay, yeah. Uh, thank you, Sterling, from Bolter for sending us one. And I, I put a bit of a write-up on my website about it. Um, you enjoyed it, yeah? I did enjoy it by the end. It, yeah, which it, is a weird thing to say about a... How much percent is it? 8.6. So it's 0.6 over the Luke Robertson... Yeah, uh, the 8% rule. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, yeah, all those sort of reasons why I probably I might not have enjoyed it. It was a little bit boozy, a little bit sweet. Sure, but that would but lend yourself to enjoy the first sip and enjoy yeah, it less over time. But yeah. it's been the opposite for you. Yeah. yeah. I think I concluded, like, conclude, if I always had a can of that in my fridge, then on a Friday, happy. that's a, a winner. Uh, anyway, have a read of that. Uh, Let me ask you this. Is the large format can a mistake? Well, I drank mine very happily. Okay. Yeah. So, no, here's the answer to that. Uh, I love the design of the can as well. The, yeah, it looks the Yellow good. stripes. Winner. Date codes. I've sure. written down. Okay. I'm going to give a shout out to Brewers for putting date codes on their cans. Okay. There's Are been you a- specifying the date codes that you're giving the shout out for? Well, for the Willows? No, no. I mean the oh, packaged on. Packaged on. Yeah, it's been yeah, a lot right. of packaged on. Okay. Um, couple are still doing best before, but I, I, I was in the shop last night buying beer. And I picked up a whole bunch of cans, and so many of them had packaged exact on experience I just had last night as well. Mm. Looking for cans, turned them over, lots of information. I feel like every time we talk about date codes, it's whinging that they aren't there. So I would love to yep. just shout out people like the Wolf of the Willows. I think Akasha might have had it on theirs. Pretty sure Citrus Sour from Citra does, yeah. Citra had um, it. Um, Kaiju do theirs as well. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, big ups. Big ups to everyone putting date codes on your cans. It, it just gives the buyers, I mean, maybe some people don't care about it, but people that care about it, it gives so much more confidence. Hmm. And it also means that if a beer is in the market that's not representing the best of your brand, people that know that won't buy it and won't yeah. have a bad experience with it. Cloudwater, did you see what they're doing? No. So, Cloudwater are doing packaged on, best condition by. And then best before. So they've got three. Because, you know, like, and I guess using the, the example of it. That's, uh, that's, that's confusing, though. Uh, they, I uh, like it. The nerd in me loves yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But, like, that's the pointy I end. Think, I, the love in that. I think they're explaining it 
I know there's, they put a blog post explaining it. Um, yeah, who's reading that that's not already yeah, appreciating yeah. it? But like, it is for us though. Like, it is for the beer geeks and the more... And I just kind of really like the idea of, sure, an IPA at six months is fine. It's not the end of the world. Not an accurate representation of beer that comes out of the brewery. And yeah, that's what they're saying. They're saying, this is when it was packaged on. You've got three months or whatever the window is for them. It's going to be great. After that, it's going to be fine. It's not going to be at its best, but it's still going to be probably an enjoyable beer to this point. I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. It does seem a little bit complicated, but... Yeah, I don't know. It probably is good because, I mean, I think my point just then was people that don't know aren't looking. So, yeah. if they're not looking, then they're not confused by it. So, yeah, okay, fair enough. You're arguing against yourself. Well, I just – I'm turned around on it because of the, the own the contradiction in my theory. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, the final thing I want to talk about is wet hot beers are happening. Yep. Does anyone there out there like wet hot beers? <laughs> I don't hear crickets, but I don't hear anything. So, yeah. Sorry? Like I can't hear crickets, yeah. but I assume that that's what's going on right yeah. now. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what. And it's interesting because I don't like their their normal hoppy beers aren't to my taste, but mm. I only really ever enjoy the Bridge Road, to the two Harvest beers from Bridge Road. One of them's a black IPA. One of them's a black IPA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of them's a regular, I think it's just a hoppy pale. Yeah. Um, but they're the best hot profile. Like they're my favorite hot profile beers that that, that Bridge Road do. Okay, interesting. Just I on that fresh conversation, I was just up in the high country, mm. and at Bridge Road, uh, they've I think they've rejigged the Beechworth Pale. Here's another conversation. I don't think they should have their summer ale called Beachy Summer Ale. It's confusing. Yeah, the Beechworth Pale gets shortened to Beachy Pale. That's confusing. Having a Beachy Pale and a Beachy Summer Ale. Does everyone shorten it or do you just you shorten it? No, I think I think they shorten it. Oh, okay. So, like, it's known as Beachy Pale. Beachy Summer Ale is a new package product. bit confusing. However, new Pale Ale, it's a little bit sweet for me. I think mm. a few years ago, it came up on the Twitters and Ben Kraus from Bridge Road addressed it as I use Crystal in my pails because that's how I like to have it and yep. it's real hard to argue anything against that 100% yeah so um, uh, and it also recently got uh, the number one rated pale ale in the um, hottest 100 so mm. obviously I'm in the minority with that I guess if you discount that XPA is still true pale. yeah <laughs> um, but having that fresh as delicious I'm not going to be getting bottles of it from Dan's, but really fresh, so good. Uh, but it talks to that. And once it gets to a certain date, it's not going to have the same pop and freshness. It really affects it. Tell me about Europe and Bright uh, and sure. doing, doing the high country area. Doing the high country area. Um, uh, like Blessed with weather. It was 30 and sunny every day. I mean, there's you, you can't ask for anything more. Uh, Bright are expanding. Mm-hmm. They've got the new production facility, not online yet, but um, it's close to being online, though. Isn't really it? close, yeah. yeah. So I think in the future, the uh, the original site experience will be more uh, fun and various because they're going to be doing a lot more bar only beers for um, from that site, which is fun. They had an English summer ale. On tap called Gary, nice mm-hmm. Gary, Gary, uh, yep. Yep. Gary Lyon, aka Nathan Lyon, delicious, amazing. Every, it was everyone's, all the non-beer drinkers 
went to that. Mm. Perfect. Uh, everything else tasting really good. Uh, nice. All the beers are tasting on point there. Checked out Social Bandit for the first time. Everything tasted exceptional. We had like a like the the pale ale called Triggered, I think it wasn't on tap. We were shattered. Then he said they packaged it two hours earlier, so we got a bottle of it and it was tasting amazing. Mm. So, I mean, obviously that's as fresh as it comes, so it's as good as it gets. But um, unbelievable. The rest of the beers were um, really solid. Mm. Uh, they also maintain the Jamison's Beast. So, yep. but he was a brewer at, at uh, the Jamison Brewery and. That was the only thing that resembled an IPA before whatever year we'll, we'll call yeah, it. 20 yeah. I think like 2006, he was sort of sure, yeah. from my memory. Like that's um, and even though I, it's not to my taste and I don't like it anymore, it's, it tastes exactly the same as it did. So uh, a good mate of mine that loved it at the time still loves it. He was happy as Larry. But um, yeah, the, the beers were really, really good. Uh, we bought a bunch of their pale and ipa and delicious beers uh good spot too like out of like it's in mansfield sort of the middle of nowhere but uh it's hey it's a, a good spot for a sunny day drink and um yeah the pale especially was really good he's got a kettle sour out at the moment doesn't he he had a couple of kettles he had like a strawberries and cream sour yeah right one other regular... Se- oh, sorry. I only had packaged one. Something... I can't think of what it was. So- no, I can't think of Suki what it was. Sukilala? Sukilala, maybe? Yeah, that's got a good packaging. Yeah. I remember seeing the, the design of that one. Yeah, a departure from their other packaging, which is pretty uh, clip-arty almost, mm-hmm. where it just looked well-designed. Yeah, so that was that was, um, that was was a great way to start. The other place we went to was um, Hurdle Creek Gin Distillery. Fun. So if anyone's um, follows... Uh, Sun Moth Canteen on the socials. They might have seen a recent post um, by them. That I think they might have got the whole range of Hurdle Creek gins uh, in store there, but really interesting stuff. They mm. had maybe did about eight different gins. Okay. We tasted a lot of them though. Really excellent. I bought one I bought one back. But the most interesting one they did, I wish I could think of what it was, but it was like a it was a a, a grain distilled gin. So mm-hmm. it was very whiskey like. So gin by uh name, but whiskey by nature I'd say. Real f- like l- legit farmhouse stuff in the sense that it was a gravelly old road you had to go yeah, down. It was cool. way out. Just a barn. Uh, some guy who just l- you can tell he loves loves gin. Happy for anyone to do a tasting. We went through them. It was good fun. Bought a couple of bottles back. Yeah, awesome. Really good. If anyone likes gin, definitely look it up. The other thing that was fun around the area in Beechworth was the Bilson's Brewery. Have you heard of them? No. So they, um, for I think a long time now, have been making um, cordials. Okay. So they do maybe 14 different cordials there. Um, we went through a few of them and bought a couple home, whatever. That's fine. But they're also about to put a kit into... Like it was a an old uh, beer brewery. And yeah, so coming up in the next 12 months, new ownerships have taken over. And they I don't know if they've got a real brewing history or knowledge, but they're gonna, they've, got, they've got a brewer who's going to come in and make the beers. Yeah, they're going to start brewing again. 
So another local option for Beechworth and could be fun. Yeah. It's basically like a cordial museum, but they've got some pretty great... They've got the old brewing gear downstairs. It's actually... Like I've been up to Beechworth plenty of times. I wish I'd been there before because it's, yeah, it's a good place to go and check out. I think that might be all I've got for the moment. There's another place. There's a place called Sixpence Coffee that have recently... This is in Bright again. That have recently relocated um, to a site much further uh, central to the township. Uh, but they've also got another gin distillery in town. Uh, Reed & Co. is a distillery. They only make one kind of gin there. I was Over the long weekend, they closed most of the time. Yeah. Uh, so there wasn't much going on there. But Bright's got a lot of uh, artisanal goods starting to come out of yeah, there. Yeah. So, um, recently, the, ch- the chocolate shop has closed yeah. down its retail arm because they need to just make chocolate. Right. Yeah. So uh, a lot of stuff happening in Bright. So. Excellent, yeah. yeah. Um, just one more thing before we jump into the Guinness interview. Sure. Next, uh, at time of recording, next Wednesday night, we've got an auction, live Facebook auction. What's the date of that so everyone knows? 21st of March, sure. and it's me and Tiff from Goose Island, we've had on the show a couple of times, Yep. and we'll be hosting a live Facebook auction, um, the last case of Bourbon County in the country. And every bottle is going to be auctioned over the course of an hour at 8.30. All proceeds go towards Pink Boots. Awesome. Uh, which which is cool. It's kind of cool to, to be part of something that's doing a good cause. And as much as, you know, the whole AB InBev thing and the whole Imperial Stout thing aren't really my thing, I had my first ever bottle of that the other day. It's so good. You loved it, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. That it made sense. It makes sense why that beer is... Uh, as storied as it is. Yeah. Yeah, righto. I, I don't feel... As dirty, spruiking that beer. Well, you might as well shelve that Heyday Beer Company cap and bring back that Goose, Goose Island, Island cap. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's throw to our chat with uh, Don. Don from Guinness. Mm-hmm. And then we will come back and give you some recommendations. Beautiful. Dave, how's it going? Very well. Welcome to PJ Brian's. You look confused today. I was just a uh, a quick start. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And Don Marnell from Guinness, how's it going? Very well. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Beer ambassador. Correct. You've ambassadored us some some beers, some some Guinness. Yes. My first question is, what does a beer ambassador for Guinness actually do? Everything and anything, my friend. Um, So I'm based in St. James' Gate Brewery in Dublin, uh, mainly based out of Guinness Storehouse, where we welcome... 1.7 1.7 million visitors a year, you know, just the 1.7 million, just a quarter of the population of Ireland come and see us every year. Um, so basically, there, there's a team of ambassadors there uh, known as the beer specialists. Every now and then, we will get the call that there is a market in the world somewhere that is either launching a beer, doing a quality drive, or it could be anything to do with improving our brand in some way, shape, or form. And one of us will be selected to go. So when it's the USA, or most recently Australia, it's usually myself. Uh, a lot of the other guys have perhaps European languages or something like that, so they'll spec- you know, kind of 
specialize in those brands um, or rather those markets. So basically what I'm doing over here in Oz, I'm doing a 90 day tour, almost 90 days to the hour. We arrived on the morning of the 1st of uh, February and we're leaving on like almost midnight on April 30th. You know, it's going to be like a TikTok sort of uh, affair. And I am doing a few different things. We're launching a brand new beer, Hop House 13, which we are out of our minds excited about. Uh, we are doing over 100 quality training sessions with different Guinness accounts across what was originally planned to be six cities. It's now more like 12 cities, so I don't plan to sleep um, unless it's on a plane. Um, and uh, so much more. We're doing a lot of media. We're doing meeting people like yourselves um, and just basically spreading the good word. How long have you worked for Guinness? Almost seven years. It will actually, the first week that I'm back in Ireland, I will celebrate my seventh year anniversary. How many markets is Guinness in at the moment? So we, excuse me, we sell Guinness in uh, about 150 countries in the world and produce it in about 50 countries in the world. There's a lot of markets in the Asian and African regions of the world where they have a specific kind of Guinness, Guinness Foreign Extra Stout, which is locally brewed to different specifications. Uh, more often than not, in the Western world, it's the beer that we're enjoying right now, Guinness Draft, which was born in 1959 and got over here to us uh, not so long after. But in any market where there's an Irish influence, a kind of a St. Patrick's Day culture, uh, this beer will usually be number one. Is, is it the Nigerian one that has slight bit of funk Britannomyces in it. Do you know about that? Uh, there's no Brett. In, okay. No, there's no Brett now. I okay. don't know where you heard that. I know that's a it's famous a, a long, uh, long rumored story. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, okay. no. You can't use Brett in a beer like Guinness because yeah. as soon as you introduce Brett into your brewery, it's very, you know, you, you're going to infect any other beers that you're going to have in there. So that's never something that we do. Uh, if we ever do use uh, any sort of wild yeast culture, it will be in very controlled circumstances in an experimental plant, mm. way, way away from anything else. And we have done in the past, we've made uh, black saisons, we've made, um, we actually did a couple of quick sour beers. We did one for Jason Momoa from Game of Thrones, which was like a damson plum puree quick sour. Yeah, right. um, so we do a lot of experiments with stuff like that. But when it comes to the big batch, no, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't give us the consistency that we're looking yeah, for. So yeah. the unique characteristics of uh, Guinness Foreign extra stout from Africa is that it was originally based around the IPA idea. So more hops and more alcohol equals longer shelf life. So it has a 7.5% ABV. It's got 65 IBUs, whereas Guinness Draft would have 4.2 and 40 IBUs. Mm. So much more, I suppose, sessionable. Um, and usually, I mean, it's not served draft at all. So it's usually specifically bottled and served at room temperature in a lot yeah. of parts of, of, of uh, rather Africa as well. So the idea there is that in that market, there's not a lot of bars that want to pay the very, very high costs of refrigeration and chiller systems and everything like that. So they usually don't do draft beer and they don't do chilled beer. So mm. lager is tricky to take off in that market. Therefore, Guinness Foreign Extra plays a pivotal role for us. Yeah, wow. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, big time. But um, 30% of all Guinness is sold in Africa. Yeah, right. That's that's a lot. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> Talked about sort of other markets and other other beers. And there's a, a new brew house in Maryland, I think it is. Correct. Baltimore, yeah, Baltimore yeah, County. correct. Is that something that I guess Guinness is going to look to replicate? Because I know that they're kind of doing experimental things and you yeah. know, operating like a, a brew pub. Uh, More or less. They, yeah. Um, it's important to remember that we've been making beer for 259 years. Um, and I think some people, if they don't do any research, they'll think, oh, okay, so they made the same beer for 256 years and then started making new beers. Absolutely not. We started off as a red ale, casked, made some light porters, developed into extra stouts in the early 1800s. Stuck on that for a while until about the 1950s. Then we started making draft stouts. Mm. But like 
if you look back into it, all through the 1990s and early 2000s, we were innovating and making new beers, but the market was just going, hang on, you're Guinness. What? You? Like, we don't get it. Yeah, yeah. We, I'm a Guinness fan, so I drink Guinness. And then, you know, fans of a certain lager or a certain ale were the same. They were like, I just drink this. That's mm. it. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everyone woke up one morning and said, I now enjoy uh, subtle hints of grapefruit <laughs> and notes of pine and cherries. On my, and everybody all of a sudden was like, well, I don't just drink stouts now. I also drink sours and, uh, you know, crystal vices and whatever it is. So now we're going, okay, well, if the market is saying, yes, I love Guinness, but I also want to try all these other beers, we're going, well, that's brilliant. Hmm. Because we've been experimenting with this for 60 years and we've got a backlog of recipes you'd be amazed to see the list of recipes we have back there. So the idea that right now in Ireland, in the Open Gate Brewery, we have a new recipe on every two weeks. And in Open Gate Brewery West, which is in Baltimore, it'll be a similar deal. Yeah, It'll also open us up to do, in the US specifically, a lot more collaborations um, and actually be able to experiment more specifically towards that market. Like, for instance, it's tricky to stay on the pulse of the American craft brew scene when you're over in Ireland, mm. just like it would be tricky to do the, the opposite as well. So in Open Gate Brewery West, that's certainly our first foray into that. But like I always say, we're 259 years into a 9,000-year lease, 8,641 years to go, give or take. My math's right on that? Perhaps not. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No one's going to care. No. Well, if you do, you know, just correct me. Um, Most people that we talk to don't have a five-year plan. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think we asked someone yesterday the two-year plan, and they were like, oh. And they were like, two years, <laughs> two points. Um, now, I think it's 8,741. Uh, yeah, I was wrong. Um, but yeah, so that's like, we've got loads more ideas up the sleeve. And as well as that, there may be scope to extend that brew pub culture. I haven't, like, I'm purely speculating so I haven't heard there's one coming to us I'm not confirming that but I'm just saying if the culture continues the way it is over here uh, especially with the fan base that Guinness has I wouldn't be surprised to see one is that fan base and you kind of alluded to it that everyone knows Guinness for, for this the the stout Guinness draft uh, the yeah. draft is that kind of a good thing and a bad thing when you know we are trying to transition into to new products Everyone's like, well, you don't do other products you do this yeah so yeah I, I completely understand what you're saying and I suppose I wouldn't say good thing and bad thing, but it's certainly uh, a challenge hmm. and an opportunity. And it's my job to... Good reframing of that opportunity. <laughs> it's my job to turn that challenge into an opportunity. Yeah. Because I'll speak to Guinness fans and, I'll, and they're saying, whoa, you know, Guinness, I, I only know your draft. What are you doing making other beers? And I'm saying, well, when it gets super hot outside, what do you drink? And they say, oh, well, you know, sometimes a Guinness, but sometimes I might go to a lager. And I say, well, wouldn't it be great if you had a Guinness Lager to do that with? And they're kind of like, oh, well, oh, like, and like, you know, you can see the, the wheels turn. They're like, oh, actually, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and then sometimes they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I, I've started drinking pale ales. And I'm like, well, you love Guinness. Yeah. Well, wouldn't it be great if Guinness made a pale ale? Well, yeah. But, and it's just, it's that sort of thing whereby it's almost like if, if, um, you know, Coca-Cola started making, and that's the thing, if you know about Coca-Cola, it does have all the other soft drinks like Fanta and Sprite and all that. But if you only knew the cola flavored, you'd be like, hang on, you make orange flavored soft drinks and all that? You're like, okay, cool. So rather than, you know, in, in modern beer, a lot of the culture will be, um, we make one big batch beer. We would like to make other beers. So let's buy up other breweries that make those beers and let's, you know, create one big conglomerate. We'd rather say, well, we've got some of the best brewers in the world and a massive, massive space to do it in. Well, why don't we trust ourselves to make these beers? Um, the challenge years ago was always that, the water source was not conducive to making lagers in Ireland. It was too hard. So in the 1950s, yeah, we started making some uh, har um, harp lager. 
not in Guinness, up in Dundalk. Eventually, we did merge with Harp. Um, but since then, we've kind of like been able to like we've we've got modern technology now to open up ourselves to any beer we want to make. So there's no reason to just restrict ourselves anymore. Yeah. So there have been probably more Guinness launches in the last ten years than there were in the previous forty. Um, so it was always a case that we were innovating and developing. And even if you consider Guinness Draft, it was the world's first nitro beer. You know, mm. it is an innovation itself. But now that the market's going, yep, we're open to these beers, we're going, brilliant. Let's go. There's that kind of uh, long-running, I don't know, not so much a myth, but the, what people say about you know, Guinness is best in Ireland. Mm. And, and obviously, I'm assuming this is brewed here, what we're Correct. drinking now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think it is always better in Ireland, or do you think this is just as good as you get? It's a great question. And, and how honestly can you answer that? <laughs> yeah, oh, no, absolutely. 100% I can't. And do you know what? So working there seven years, um, this is genuinely a question I get every single day. Um, oh, really? I thought it was a good one. <laughs> it is a great one. It's the best question possible, but it's one I get every single day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's from whoever I'm speaking with. And somebody will, you know, I'll meet somebody from London, and they'll say, is it true that the Guinness in London isn't as good as the Guinness in Dublin? I'll meet someone from New York later that day and they'll say, is it true the Guinness in New York isn't as good as Dublin? And I'll meet somebody from Melbourne and they'll say the exact same. Is it true the Guinness in Australia isn't as good as Dublin? So I have to give you a few different answers, but they all apply. Number one, in Ireland, Guinness is the national beer. It is the most sold beer. Most pubs, not every pub, there are some like brew pubs that are owned by breweries that will not have Guinness, but 99.9% of pubs will have Guinness. And they will know that not only will the locals be seeking perfect Guinness, but they'll also know that overseas guests will be seeking a perfect Guinness too. If a bartender's smart, they'll realize, and pretty early into the game, you'll realize that, um, the Guinness fan is the perfectionist of the group, right? So there's four of us sitting around here, and we're all drinking a Guinness because of you know the, the current uh, discussion topic, of course. And I'd hope we'd be drinking a Guinness if we weren't. Um, but if one of us was saying, I'm, I'm a lager fan, I only drink lager, and the other one was saying, I'm a cider fan, I only drink cider. If we were all going for a drink after work one day, would the cider fan really be saying, nah, let's not go there. Nah, nah I, I prefer the cider in this place. Probably not. By the same margin, the, the lager fan is probably not going, they don't pour a great point of lager. They actually do a better point of lager over here. But the Guinness fan is saying, no, lads, we're not going there. This is where the great Guinness is. Let's go there. Now, these pubs are all working off the same kegs. Mm. But we have something when it comes to Guinness quality called the seven C's of Guinness quality. And it's simple things. It's the correct gas mix, clean lines, the correct temperature, the correct countermount. There's seven different quality steps that we have. And if a bar follows all seven, then you won't know if you're in Sydney, Melbourne, London, New York, Ireland. The fact of the matter is, though, that in, in Ireland, it's almost second nature. Your bar is set up to serve Guinness, and then you fix your lagers. In a lot of pubs outside of Ireland, the bar is set up anyway, and then you're like, oh yeah, Guinness is a good beer, we'll get Guinness on. But maybe you only really know how to handle lagers. So one of my major um, jobs over here is to visit every single Guinness account in our top 250 tier. Uh, so I'm hoping to hit all 250. We've hit about 55 so far in 33 days, and I suppose I'm on course for 170, but I'll, I'll try and ramp my, ramp my visits up if I can. Um, and to bring their staff through the seven seas. And in, trust me, in two accounts I did today, all seven were absolutely spot on. But there's some accounts I've gone to where maybe they've had three right. Not for the want of trying, 
but they've literally gone, we actually didn't know that about the temperature. Or, oh, is that what you're meant to do? We were doing this with our glasses. We didn't know we were meant to do that. So now they have the information and now they have the capacity to, to serve better beer, right? So when it comes to the quality of the beer itself, like we never, we wouldn't have been making beer 259 years if we were putting out products that we were going, yeah, it's probably fine. We, we have 263 quality checks that every single brew goes through. And the last one is actually a taste test. And we'll try and pick up any off notes, anything like that, any aging within the beer, anything that could have been an issue. Nothing leaves the brewery without our, our, uh, our big green tick beside it. And you're saying, oh yeah, but the beer over here is brewed locally. It's brewed, brewed in Adelaide. Mm not without our permission and not without our scrutiny and our checking. So my bosses are over here constantly checking the quality and making sure it's perfect. Um, the license changed five years ago because we weren't 100% happy with the quality of the product that was being put out. So within the last five years, and Lai and Nathan have taken over the brewing of the beer and we're extremely happy with it now over in us. Now that's the first thing. I'm not speaking strictly on quality, right? Does, are you happy with all that? Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now let's talk about us as beer fans. So, like I said, 90% of my time is spent in Dublin. And I meet so many Guinness fans from the US, from Australia, from New Zealand, from everywhere. And they come over to me. And like I said, this is why I get that question every day. The Guinness is always so much better over here. Rather than give you an answer, I'll tell you a story. So last year, doesn't always happen. Last year, I got some time off. All right. I know. Time off for the Guinness Ambassador. <laughs> You think you're saying you don't work anyway. You're walking around <laughs> talking about Guinness. I got time off and I decided I've never been to Asia. I'm going to go over to Asia. And I took some time off. I got two weeks relaxing on the beaches, Southeast Asia, the lovely islands, chilling out. Me and a good friend of mine, we're sitting there and we're soaking up the sun, trying not to burn. You can see, you know, you probably can't see me if you're listening to this <laughs> unless you've Googled me beforehand, but I'm a pretty pale Irish gentleman. So I'm trying not to burn too much. And I'm sitting there and I'm enjoying a local lager known as Chang. Have you, have you drank Chang before? I certainly have drank Chang. And there I am on the beach and I'm cheersing my buddy and I'm saying, Chang, mate, this, this beer right here, this is the best lager I've ever tasted in my days. And I'm supping it away. And I enjoyed Chang the entire holiday. Anytime I'd watch a football match, I'd head to an Irish pub and have a few Guinness. And it was great. Reminded me of home. But when I was on the beaches, you know, let's win in Rome, enjoy a few Chang, right? So let's put a pin in that. I go home. As all holidays, they must end. So I headed home. November in Ireland. Pretty rainy. Pretty cold. Good time for a Chang. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you're I talking was like, up to your mates going, tell you what, I'll give you the best lager you've yep. in your life. Yeah. I'm going to swim down to the local <laughs> office and I'm going to pick up a six or a Chang and I'm going to take them back to my apartment and put on the heating and try and warm up <laughs> and crack a bottle of Chang. And all of a sudden... Taste as good as it did on that beach just a few weeks beforehand. Is Chang brewed under license in the UK or is it? I, I believe it is. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, even like if it's come that far as but, well, that's going to be even no, worse. But, but, yeah. What I'm getting at here is yeah. you're in Ireland. <laughs> you're going, it's, it's something that we all have just as human beings. But if you pick up a glass and say, I bet this is going to be the best Guinness I've ever had. And then you take a drink, you're going to go, well, that was the best Guinness I've ever had. But as I always say, and this is the perfectionist in us, 
Say, for instance, 10 of my friends have spent a year in, or let's even say a week in, uh, in a certain part of the world, and they all come back, and nine of them had great Guinness while they were away, and one of them didn't. It's the one that didn't that is going to tell me about it. Yeah. And therefore, I go over and I say, well, I've heard it's not great over here. And then I have a taste and I go, oh, well, that's not great. So it's, it's things that, that we tweak in our own mind. And it's, it, I think it's actually perceptions that we make up beforehand. So I think it's equal parts, both of those. It's certain places, like I'll be completely honest, I've, I've had enough Guinness. I've been here over a month. I've had Guinness in most of the accounts I've been to. In most of them, it's brilliant. And it'd be really hard to differentiate it from the others. But I have had places where you just go, well, that pour wasn't right. Or that glass is very greasy. Or the temperature's way too cold. And you do notice a difference in that. So I'm trying to shore up those differences. And then I'm also, you've just got to take that into account that if you are on holiday in Ireland, having the crack, having the banter in Temple Bar, things might just be a little bit more enjoyable as well. Yeah, it's probably where I landed on, on that always. And I, I get that question quite often. It's, people, it's always people that come back from Southeast Asia and they're like, where can I get beer Hanoi? It's like, just don't. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be good. Yeah. I think we're uh, going through a phase in um, craft beer in Melbourne, Australia, where we're learning a lot about overall quality, yeah. how important it is, and the consistency, how important it is for your... Um, for your uh, demographic, new people, anyone like that, how much of the expectation and perfectionism is brilliant marketing from Guinness? Because I think it creates a lot of that perfectionism yeah. in its punters. Well, the fact of the matter is that pouring a nitro beer, um, it's not difficult, but it's different. If you have 30 beer lines, chances are only one or two of them are nitro. So bars will be happy and I don't want to come across but a lot of times barrels will be happy to just pour a lager into a glass they're just like it's cold it's fizzy there you go enjoy it and then when Guinness demands that little bit more and trust me you'll notice the difference in consistency of texture and flavor if the beer is poured in the wrong glass or if it's poured in at the wrong temperature or into a dirty glass or something like that but I think that perfectionism has been drilled in by getting perfection to a certain degree and then going around and getting it wrong. If, like, if you know about beer and you do get a substandard pour of a lager, like if there's no head on the top and the beer goes flat pretty quick, you will know about it. To the naked eye, to the untrained eye, you might just think, oh, that's a flat lager. Oh, I won't, or, or I won't order that one again. It's the beer. But it could have just been the service. But I think the whole thing about Guinness is that people know because it's to stand out. I guess what I'm trying to say is here, you name five lagers, if they're just in a standard glass and they look flat, I won't be like, oh, the blank is off or, oh, that's a bad blank. I'll just be like, it's a bad lager. It's a bad beer, whatever it is. But if Guinness is so iconic and it's just the vision, like the appearance of it, that as soon as you see one that doesn't look right, you're like, oh, that's a bad Guinness. That's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong there, whether it's the glass or whatever it is like that. So I think it's just the fact that it stands out so much, especially in this market, because there really isn't anything like it over here. And I don't think I'm stepping on anyone's toes by saying that. We have two other Nitro Stouts back home that are quite prominent. Not nearly as big as Guinness, but, you know, in certain bars and in certain parts of the country, it's like, okay, well, is that a Guinness or is it any, either of the other two? But over here, it's, it is what it is. So I think that demand for perfection is just because you know straight away, well, that's definitely a Guinness and I know what it should look like. So why does it look like that? It's interesting because I'm pretty cynical. Uh... And we're chatting to someone um, from ABNB recently about yep. um, Stella. 
and she's someone we've known from from the craft beer world for years. And we said to her, you know, how does it feel selling Stella now? She said, it's great because the whole routine about the poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a similar kind of concept. And yeah, I probably had similar cynicism towards towards Guinness and you know the the two step poor. Mm-hmm. You know, how how much is it impacting? But I guess what you're saying the whole the whole process creates the same result every time, regardless of where you are. Well, let me um, let me show you. I mean, I know this will not really make sense to our friends who are. We really uh, take them into account, so go for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, I'll show you. There was there was a, a bar in Sydney that had a. Uh, they put up a picture of their Guinness on Facebook on their Facebook accounts. Oh no! And the bar and the, the beer. Well, I mean, I'll let you make your own judgments, and maybe, maybe rather than uh, say anything, why don't you let your listeners just from your, like your, I suppose not not in words, but At just guttural noises. Vocal, yeah, guttural <laughs> noises. Just let them know what that point looks like to you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fear cop. Yeah. Good looking point. So that, I would disagree. <laughs> How do you think it's, do you think I, it's I would, perfect? I would say, disagree. I would say that that's one of the most monstrous points I've ever seen in my entire life. Did you say that was good or bad? I, th- I don't think it's good. That's awful. No, yeah, it's not yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, no, I, think, I think we're yeah. all on the same page. I thought you yeah, said yeah. good looking. No, 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 yeah, no, 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 not a good that's looking. Not good. Okay. Yeah. No, no, it's... Uh, so yeah. that, that's dreadful. Yeah. Uh, and what that came from was one a greasy glass, which is the, the water marks you can see there, or the nitro marks, I should say, and two a one part pour. Yeah. So when you do a one-part pour, you are going to get that buildup of nitro gas because it's all streaming out together. You've, there's no way to control it. So I worked on that gentleman's um, chiller system for a little while to change the temperature up. We uh, messed around with the gas system a little bit, and I showed him how to clean his glasses. And within an hour, we going to look like that. Exactly. Oh, there we go. There's no point right. having a beautiful golden harp on your glass if you're not going to see half of it. Yeah. There you go. I would, I would tend to agree. So, like... The, the potential's there. And, you know, people are saying, oh, does it really make a difference to two-part pour? The two-part pour is all about building the right-sized foam. We don't do the two-part pour the correct way. You're likely to get a much thicker foam. We call it a bishop's collar or a priest's collar back home. It purely just makes the beer difficult to get at. And as well as that, because if the foam was that big, that means the beer, well, there's less of it. So you're not getting a full pint. So we want to give you a full pint. That's why we're trying to do a, a two-part pour. And what I always say is, like, if you order a cocktail... You don't expect to get it within seconds. You're like, yeah, it's going to take a minute. But when I get it, it's going to look good. It's going to taste good. That's Guinness. You don't expect to get it straight away, but you're going to get your value for money when you do get it. That's the way it should be. What do you think Guinness's place is in the Australian market? Do you think it's uh, got its own strong brand or it's... I think it does. Um, and this is, is, is again, not, not a question I get every day. So well done <laughs> on that. But it is a common one when I do interviews like this. I think, I would like to think, but I do think it is true that we we have a very unique place because there are certain, say, let's say some craft beer aficionados. I don't want to say snobs. You so can say, like, you can say whatever. Yeah. We, we say way worse yeah, yeah. <laughs> about ourselves. That <laughs> will literally friends. go, yeah, yeah. it's lager, blah. Oh, it's mainstream, blah. They make over how much a year? No, I'm not drinking that. Yeah? But I think they kind of go, oh, well, Guinness was the first nitro beer. Yeah, every now and then I'll have a Guinness. So they might write off everything else but the happens. And then there are some people who go, craft? I don't I don't know. No, it's too hoppy for me. It's too bitter for me or whatever it is. Whatever their issue with it is or it's too strong. But they go, yeah, I'm normally a lager guy but I'll have a Guinness. I think we, we do kind of f- fall in both of those. So there's like an intersection if you get me. And then by the same margin, we also have people who are like, that's my beer. That's my drink. I, I'm Guinness, you know? Um, 
I do think definitely it can be a cultural thing whereby if you if you have Irish heritage, you feel connected to the brand. As I always say, how many countries in the world have a glo sorry yeah globally internationally recognized day? Like every March seventeenth, everyone's like, "Hey, Green Ireland, yeah." You know, with all due respect, but like, there's there's is there a, a Norwegian day that's celebrated all the way around? Is there a Danish day? There's not. Why not? You know, I, I genuinely don't have an answer for that. But like the way it's worked out is that a small, tiny country with barely six million people has somehow got the influence on the world that everybody wants to be Irish on that day. And Guinness has been, some of you know this, we've been shipping Guinness to us pretty much as long as VB have been brewing here. So like we're, we've, you know, we're part of the furniture when it comes over <laughs> here as well. So anyone with Irish heritage who's living over here is they've had access to this beer for so long. Um, so I think, you know, there, there is that intersection whereby some people that just have this brand identity with that and say, that's my beer. I love it. I barely drink anything else. There's craft fans that say, yep, I'll have it if I'm looking for a stout. And there's lager fans that say, yeah, if I'm looking for something a bit more flavor, I'll totally have a Guinness as well. So I think we've, we fall in a really nice place. Used to be a guy that came into my, my pub back home in New Zealand and he would uh, he would holiday in my hometown. His mum lived there, I think. And he'd come in and always be wearing a different Guinness T-shirt. Right. Every day that he was – you could, you could like, you know when he was in town because he'd be in like 4 o'clock that day. Wearing the same Guinness T-shirt – oh, sorry, different Guinness T-shirt. He'd smoke cigarettes. You could still smoke in bars then. Okay. Um, and he would fold each one quite neatly when it was done. Like he'd smoke it basically to that same point. And then fold it to like a ninety degree angle, and then they'll all be lined up on the ashtray. Guinness Zippo. Okay. Um, I, Super fun. And when yeah. I had a Zippo, like I had a Zippo at the time, and I ran out of a flint, he had spare flints for me. He was like very organised. <laughs> they weren't Guinness branded flints, so I don't think they exist. Oh, come but on. <laughs> but really? a, a perfectionist. After yeah, yeah. A perfectionist. And beer. that's yeah. kind of, I guess, when you, when I think of the, the super fan, you know, for, for better or for worse, you guys have cultivated these amazingly passionate people, but. The other side to that is the negative imagery around Guinness is the the meal on the glass people call it. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And like I, I, you know, I host tastings and I'll bring out some dark beers and yeah. say, "Oh, I don't like Guinness. I don't like it's too thick. It's too heavy." And to get people around from that, you know, back onto actually accepting, I mean, it's never Guinness, but you know, that as a flavour, it's really difficult. Do you guys, how do you guys do that? Yeah, and thanks for bringing this up because I would have if you didn't. Um, it's the biggest challenge. And again, I was talking to you about earlier um, about, oh, I'm in Ireland, I'm going to enjoy this beer, that sort of perception. We're all guilty of it. If you see something you've never tried before or see something you've never done before, you'll immediately make assumptions about, will I enjoy this? Will I not enjoy this? Am I going to like the flavor? Am I going to like the texture? So probably one of the most common sentences that's uttered to me is if somebody says, no, Guinness is too, I don't like Guinness, it's too dark. And I say, well, have you ever tried it? I would say over 50% of the time, the response is, I had a sip and my friend's pint didn't like it. So that means that half of the people had a sip of their friend's pint. I'll get to that in a second. And the other half have just laid their eyes on it and said, I don't like it. Now, what I always say is, there's always potential to like it. There's always capacity. And the way I usually compare it to things, so I say, well, do you drink coffee or do you like dark chocolate? And if you like either of those things, you'll probably like Guinness. But when it comes to people who say, I had a sip of my friend's pint and I didn't like it, 
as I'm sure you both well know, and most of your listeners probably know, nitrogen gas forms a tight seal at the top of a beer, right? When we pour again, it's a two-part pour, we basically consolidate the nitro bubbles, similar to the way you build a sandcastle. So each nitro bubble is insignificant on its own. But if you give it the right conditions, like a grain of sand, and you push it all together, you form this big, tight lock. And the reason it's there is to make sure the beer can't be oxidized. The beer cannot, like the oxygen in the air, cannot scavenge the CO2 down there. So if you are just sipping... If you're not getting past that first, what we'd ask for about 15 mil of uh, 15 millimeters of head, you are literally only drinking nitrogen gas. So to summarize, if you sip Guinness, you probably haven't tasted the beer that we've actually spent 259 years getting right. Um, you've probably only sipped the nitrogen gas on the top. So what I always say is, I'd equate it to getting into a cold swimming pool. A nice warm day. And there's a cold swimming pool right there. If you literally dip a toe in, you might say, that's too cold. I'm not getting in there. But if you just go, okay, I'm going to do this. And you go all in at once. When you get in, you're like, oh, that's, yeah, it's fine. So I think it's the same with Guinness, that people look at the darkness of it and they say, I've tried X amount of beers in my life. They have all been golden slash amber. This one is not, therefore I don't like it. All right, you know, it's just this, it's a visual sure. perception. So I think what I always say to them is, just have a nice big mouthful. Make sure you get beyond the foam. Get the Guinness Tash, right? Again, you guys are saying, well, maybe that's just marketing, the whole Guinness Tash thing. The reason we concepted that thing and the reason we encourage it, and we actually, around March, we're giving out prizes for, for the best Guinness Tash selfie, is that we're saying, if you get a Guinness Tash, that means you've gotten underneath the foam. And that's, that's your proof right there. So what I say to them is, have a big mouthful of it. Let it set. Swirl it around a little bit and try and pick out the coffee and chocolate flavors. Take a moment. Have a breath. Have two. Take a moment. Have a chat with your friend. Then try it again. You may not like it straight away after the first or second, but once you get, if you really try and have a pint, if you get maybe, you know, a, a quarter of the way down the pint, you'll have an idea about what the flavor is all about. And you'll straight away, you will realize it's not as heavy it's not as thick as people imagine. I think the reason that people think it's this undrinkable beer is because when you do sip, it just tastes so foamy. It's like, you know, gassy, I suppose. The other one I hear all the time is, oh, but there's, there must be so many calories in, uh, in a pint of Guinness. And not being cheeky at all, I genuinely ask, based on what? And they say, well, look how dark it is. So... If in coffee, it's not the darkness that gives us the calories, it's the sugar that you add, or it's the, the milk that you add. In chocolate, it's not the darkness that gives you the calories. Again, it's the sugar that's present. With Guinness, because we've got roasted raw barley, there are fewer unfermented sugars than there would be in a lot of ales. Therefore, it's lower in calories than most beers. I know you probably knew this, mm. but a standard lager will probably have 240 calories, roughly, in a pint. Uh, IPAs, higher again, ciders over so 300. Oh, yeah. Guinness, 196 in a full pint. I mean, look, I'm not, again, I'm not saying I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger, but like, <laughs> I'm the Guinness ambassador. It's part of my job to drink Guinness, and, you know, I'm not a heavy guy. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a case at all that it's going to put any weight on you. So what I'd always say, I suppose to summarize again, the answer to that question, pro give the beer a proper try. You never know if you like something until you properly try it. I think it's ridiculous to look at something and say, I'm not going to like that. 
Um, and this is how people, you know, become pleasantly surprised. So, I nice big mouthful. I'm going to admit, I in that when posed with that question, giving people the you know the dark beers, and I I, I always sort of tell them explain the nitrogen is going to make it feel thicker because um, you know that all those concepts you yes. you mentioned, and then I guess I forget Guinness. Like put that out of your mind because they have built that perception up from all those reasons that you just explained that you know dark beer is all these things. So I guess I tell them to forget it. Reset yourself, which is, I guess, what you're saying as well. Actually, drink a half a glass or a full glass. And like, yeah, like yeah, taste what you taste. Yeah, so, yeah, just see what you taste. And like, that's what I would say. If somebody goes, if if somebody says to me, "I didn't like the coffee-like flavor," no problem. Sure, yeah, exactly. That, that's absolutely fine. But I know as, lo- as long as you got it, as long as you actually got the coffee-like flavor, and you weren't just going, "No, there was a bit of bitterness on the top. I didn't like it." That's the gas, like I said. So that's what I said. Like, if you genuinely taste the beer, if you genuinely get underneath and you try the coffee and chocolate, like rich flavor, and you still don't like it, perhaps stout isn't for you at this point in your life. But what I always say is, I always liken it to tea. Um, when you probably had your first cup of tea, I'm not asking you to try and remember your first cup of tea, but the chances uh, I remember are, it fondly. you remember it well. <laughs> the chances are, you, you know, for me anyway, I remember my mother was drinking tea. And I said, I want to drink tea. I want to be grown up. I want to drink tea. You know, I was 17 at this, but no, I was, I was, I was young. <laughs> and I said, I want to drink tea. And I tasted it. I was like, no, that's so bitter. And she said, well, sometimes people like milk or sugar in their tea. And I said, yeah, let's do that. So we put probably half a cup of milk in there and three sugars. And I was going, yeah, this is, yeah, this is me. <laughs> and then a couple of years later, I was going, maybe two sugars, then one sugar. Now, no sugars, but still generous milk. I'm a black coffee drinker now, you know? And this is something that happens over time. So again, most of your listeners probably know this, and I'm sure you two do, but your palate does tend to change and develop. So if somebody's 20 years old saying, I kind of prefer sweeter things like cider, absolutely no problem. But don't rule out the fact that your palate may change in years to come, and you'll get into maybe more bitter flavors, um, maybe IPAs, or maybe it's a coffee-like bitterness that you'll like, like Guinness. Just yeah. touching back on um, a previous comment uh, around the marketing, uh, I meant it more as a unbelievable way to educate a lot of people about demanding better quality beer um, that I think a lot of brewers in this country would only wish to impart on people and uh, venues about pouring and serving beers. It's sort of staggering, the mm. knowledge that Guinness drinkers have about how it's supposed to be served and be uh, now and be presented. I, I agree with you, but at the same time, that doesn't mean like there are a lot of old wives' tales surrounding sure. as well, and there are certainly a lot of people that um, will have their own way. Um, they won't drink it without so, a shamrock on top. And uh, now, to be honest, the shamrock for me, like, so the shamrock was not developed in Ireland, and I'm not sure if this is common knowledge, but the shamrock was, from what I can surmise, um, was actually developed by an Irish American who was trying to impart the two-part pour on people because he was basically saying, if you do a two-part pour, look at the lovely design you can make on the second. And he was thinking, they'll make the design a couple of times, but eventually they'll, they'll get bored of doing that, and but they'll be in the habit of doing the two-part brilliant, pour. Yeah, brilliant still. But then people just went, oh, designs, <laughs> like baristas, you know? They were like, yeah, exactly. oh, we love pictures, you know? So in Ireland, in the touristy spots, you may get uh, a shamrock or something like that. In my local bar, it would be unheard of. So, you know, just in case people think that that's the done thing uh, in Ireland. Um, but yeah, it is. It's it's it has kind of given 
it has given a, a wonderful sense of pride and, and people do love to see the two-part pour, but I'm just saying, if you're a bartender listening to this and someone comes in chancing their arm and says, oh, well, back home we pour it in, it takes 15 minutes to pour again, it doesn't, all right? Now, sometimes, I, and this is just, I have heard this from some bartenders being like, well, I've got a local uh, Irish guy who says that uh, it should take 15 minutes and take seven pours to pour a Guinness. And I'm saying he may just be seeing what he can get away with sort of thing, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, can you believe they believe that? Um, I'm not saying that's, that's like the vast minority, but I'm just saying there's a specific way to do it. It's a two-part pour, uh, pouring just at the top of the golden harp and then topping off by pushing the, the tap back when the beer has turned dark. That's the blanket way to do it. It doesn't change with Guinness Draft. Can you explain the, the forward and the back? What the Absolutely, are? yeah, no problem. So when you... So the Guinness tap is set up in a couple of different ways. One, we spoke about this earlier, it has a different gas pressure. So most beers are poured with a 50-50 mix. The Guinness Draft will be poured with 70% nitro, 30% CO2, right? Cool on that? Yep. Excellent. After that, we have a unique nozzle. So if you ever take, if you screw a Guinness nozzle off and you look inside um, to compare it with lager nozzles, you'll see all the way through a lager nozzle or a pale ale nozzle, you will not see through a Guinness nozzle because there's a disc with five tiny holes called a restrictor plate, which basically means that the beer is being concentrated through five small holes. So the incre there's increased pressure there. It's being forced through a higher pressure. As well as that, underneath there's an agitator which vibrates as the beer goes through, and it's, it creates the hissing noise that you get when you pull a, a Guinness tap towards you. So when you do that, you pull a Guinness all the way towards you, Guinness tap all the way towards you, you'll hear a hissing noise, the gas is flowing through at high pressure, the bubbles, the nitro bubbles are being broken apart by the agitator, and that causes the settle, the surging effect, right? So that surges, you pour to the top of the harp and you get a nice sized foam, hopefully about 15 millimeters of foam, then, during the second part, if you push the tap away, you'll notice it doesn't go nearly as far. What that means is that the valve that increases the pressure of the nitrogen stays shut. So you get almost uh, just like a, a stream of beer from the keg. And it comes out slower, which is easier to control the pour. But in, sorry, in addition to that, you don't actually impact the size of the foam. So the idea is that by doing the, the back pour during the second part, you'll be able to fill the glass up so that it's peaking above the rim but it still won't spill a drop. Whereas were you to pull it towards you again, if you went to peak above the rim, there'd be so much nitrogen that eventually it would start to spill over the edge. So we want to keep everything contained within the glass. If it starts to spill over the edge, that means that oxygen can now get in underneath. It's not a, a compact unit anymore and your beer can go flat. That makes sense? Sure. Perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, cool. Probably should have asked us earlier about the brewing locally. Yeah, sure thing. Um, but the extract... Does that still happen, and what is it? Can you, how much can you tell me about that? Because it's always one of these weird things that pops up. Yeah, so basically, it's a case whereby we we like to th like we like to say that every brew starts in Dublin. There's a drop of Dublin every bottle. That's for some markets or bottles. Um, without going into too much, because obviously the brewers like to keep a little bit close to their chest. They're they're like basically a case where it works. Just trust <laughs> that it works, you know. Um, but basically, we we will make sure that there is something of Dublin in every bottle. Um, that our roast is to the exact same EBC and we will send uh, a concentrated extract. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much all. So like it, it doesn't impact on the brew too much. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like a very concentrated version of what we're going to use in the brew back home. And you'll have it over here to start your brew off. From there, you're using local ingredients and, and brewing a beer as normal. 
So how much is you like? What form does it take, and how much does it use? How much can you say? That's some, I mean, that's <laughs> that's just not something that we tend to go into. Like okay. the, even the brewers wouldn't tell me that, you know. Um, and purely for a case where it's it's not really on a need to know basis, you know. Um, my role will really be once the beer gets to bar, okay. just making sure that it's being served correctly, and I, you know, the beer looks the same, the beer tastes the same for me. Um, so that's what I'd be concerned with. I'm gonna I'm gonna find answers to this question one day. I think I emailed Lion a couple of years ago about it. And Don't worry about Lion. I reckon Reddit. Yeah, you're going to find a lot of rumors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the thing. yeah, like, yeah. And I guess that's the, the big mystery with, with Guinness. Or, or there are those, you know, as we talked about, people think it's always going to be better in Ireland. People think the two-step pour is good or bad. The extract, the Nigerian version, all those things, you know, like so much mythology around Guinness, which also kind of probably helps you guys as well to... To be a mysterious. It's not something brand. that we're, we're trying to perpetuate, but it's just a case whereby, like, there's no other industry in the world that's scrutinized as much as beer brewing. Um, like, there are not soft drink aficionados who are like, oh man, the Coke tastes different in Singapore <laughs> than it does in, you there know? Probably are there some. definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen okay, some. a very yeah. small minority. Yeah, but, like, but comparatively, I get you. Yeah, like, you get <laughs> me what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we're, we're, when it comes to beer, <laughs> like, there's just, there's, there's no let up. Um, and at some point, and I mean this with the greatest respect to beer fans, but at some point you're going, well, if, if you enjoy drinking the beer, how about, you know, just enjoy it? That's that's the the case behind it. It's what I say about, um, you know, sometimes when it comes to smaller breweries, been, and this is a controversial topic, but smaller breweries been bought up by the bigger breweries. And I'm saying, well... We've never discussed that on the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I, I know I won't labor on it at all, but I'm saying, like, my my... My personal opinion, and this does not represent the opinion of Guinness, my personal opinion is if a small brewery that you enjoyed the beer of last week, you recently found out was bought up, and all of a sudden you're going, oh, I don't like it anymore. Well, you enjoyed the beer last week. And again, you know, if you imagine um, a musician that you liked, and they got signed to a record label, and you're like, I don't like listening to their music anymore. What changed about the music? I get if it's a case whereby a big company comes in and changes the recipe, but if they're going, no, we're going to keep the recipe the same. All we're going to do is help them distribute to a wider audience. I don't understand. I, and I, I do think where that that's where the, the um, I suppose, the difference comes in with beer fans. Then, then I, I was a punk rock kid. So as soon as someone signed to a <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah. get out. We call that a hipster, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to slash their tires outside the gig. Question that I generally have no idea about. So what better chance to uh, Here we go. talk to a, a brand ambassador about. But... Guinness forever since I turned legalized drinking and not a day before. Trust me. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, uh, Guinness was like ever present in bars around here. Only dark beer option available. As the craft beer uh, surgeons affected the way Guinness sells in Australia and other markets, or is it outside that? bubble and not really affected uh, no I, no it, it's absolutely affected um every so the fact of the matter is that like if you had um five pack five brands of crisps right and they all had 20 percent of the market and the next year you had 200 brands of crisps there's not a chance in hell where one of the five that you had before didn't notice affected sales right sure now, I know that's an extreme example, but I'm just putting that out there first off. So the Guinness draft beer, of course, I'll put it to you this way. Like, so if we're, we're all friends, right? And we meet up for a Guinness every night. 
and maybe we have three Guinness. And then all of a sudden we decide, actually the third beer from now on is going to be the local pale ale. Then for this group, we have lost a significant percentage of sales. So what we have done is, again, we spoke earlier about difficulties and opportunities. Um, so what some might consider difficult, we, we could sit back and go, ah, we're going to lose, ah. The opportunity is, well, people like trying different types of beer now. So some of these recipes that we had in the locker, hey, I hear they like, well, we knew they like lagers in Australia. I hear now there's a massive pale ale market. What about that lager that we have that's hoppy? Why don't we try that over there? This is literally what we've done. So we have a beer in Ireland that's been a revelation called Hop House 13. Did we send you a six pack? Yeah, we yeah. did, yeah. We'll send you another one. Um, Hop House 13 is, in the last five years, it's become one of the top three lagers in Ireland. It's like, if a bar, if a patron goes into a bar and it's like, hey, pint Hop House 13, they're like, we don't have it. It's like, what? <laughs> it's almost like saying we don't have Guinness, right? It's that level of a lager, but it's simple. It's a lager with an ale yeast, giving it a bit more of a strong body, right? So it's got the Guinness yeast, but it has been lagered during fermentation. So, so the German version of lager, not the- Exactly. Not the yeah. And then we've also, we've got three different styles of aromatic hops in the Whirlpool. So you've got Topaz, Mosaic, and Galaxy, right? Two Aussie hops, an American hop, giving you notes of peach and apricot. And basically it's, it's, it's fitting the Guinness drinker who's going, like I said earlier, oh, it's 40 degrees outside that I wouldn't mind something, you know, something a bit more crisp. Uh, hop is 13. The lager fan who's going, I hear about all these pale ales, but Jesus, where do I start? Hop is 13. And then the lager fan who just goes, yeah, I've kind of tasted everything that big, you know, the big lagers have to offer. Um, I'd like something with a bit more. Hop is 13. And it has just, like I said, it's become a revelation in Ireland. So there are certain markets I'll give you like, I don't get like to get, when I'm chatting to the lads like you, I don't like to get too much into like sales figures and all that, but I'll just give you, <laughs> give you one that's super simple to understand. We introduced it to Canada in September, 2017. Since then, it's accounted for 50% of Guinness growth in Canada, right? Canada's a big lager market too. So we were basically saying lots of Irish, lots of Guinness fans, lots of lager fans, lots of pale ale fans, Australia, Hopper's 13. Would that ever be brewed? Is, is that still brewed in Ireland? And is that always going to be the case? Yeah. Well, I mean, never say always. Okay. Never say always because yeah. who knows, you know? Um, I, 259 years exactly ago, someone would like, <laughs> like, like I said, in, in 1958, people were probably going, God, Guinness is always going to be just in bottle. And then 1959, Guinness Draft comes out. Um, so I personally do have no idea. What I would say is that if the bottles prove super popular here, we may see it on draft here. We may not. Who knows? Um, but we, we're certainly super excited to get the bottles over here because we genuinely think it's something that has a place. Uh, as I always say, we hate to bring sand to the beach. You don't want to come to a market that has loads of lagers or loads of pale ales and say, here's another one. So this is a really good balance between lager and pale ale, and we don't think there's too much out there that's got that. What's the split with um, draft versus package for Guinness in Australia? Um, I don't actually have figures on that, man. And like, that's just, it's a case where they, they are available, but in my day-to-day, -day, that's not something that I kind of need to, um, so I don't have figures on, but we could we could send you figures on that if you, if you really wanted. Um, I know it, like I know what's it, what it's available in. We've got kegs, we've got obviously draft cans, which come from Ireland. And we've also got uh, bottles of Guinness Extra Stout, um, both smaller and, and the larger bottles too, which, um, 
which are the more carbonated older style. Um, in my estimation, I would say draft heavily outweighs the others. Because for me, when it comes to Guinness Draft, it's, it's a beer about community. Because, say, we're having a chat right here, right? And the Guinness Draft has not impacted our chat in any at any stage, right? We're literally having a chat professionally. We are talking to microphones. When it comes to- Very professional. Very professional. Yeah. When it comes to bottled beer, when it comes to lager points, sometimes there's more of a sip, 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 sip. But the, when it comes to Guinness, as we always say, um, there's a famous comedian from Ireland called Dylan Morn, and he speaks about a pint of Guinness. And he says, when it comes to a pint of Guinness, it's your turn, sorry, it's your turn to talk when the pint is at the other lad's face. <laughs> that, that's a conversation. I mean, so that's been how the podcast yeah. has run so far. So as soon as you yeah. start asking the question, I go, right, I'm yeah. going to have a nice big turn. sup. There we go. Yeah, that's almost what I oil. figured uh, when I asked the question. It brings me back to um, the question about craft beer in Australia affecting Guinness. Yes. I feel like um, most of the venues that would pour Guinness uh, may not be pouring the other beers. So I wondered if it was in a... Uh, like a satellite market of its own without that. Um, but I mean, I that's not something I've experienced. I'll be completely honest. Um, I've been doing my best to like outside of the Guinness accounts, just to see what the culture's like. As I always say, um, so my title beer ambassador or sometimes is known as beer expert. How can you be a beer expert if you only have one beer, right? So I always try when I get to a local market to try as many of the local beers as possible to see what else is out there. What are people drinking? What are their tastes like? And that helps me to do my job better because I can say, well, I know you like that. That's that flavor profile. How about introducing this? Sure. So I have done my best to see it. And yes, there are markets or there are uh, spaces where Guinness, and they're saying, oh, well, it doesn't really fit our, you know, and that's neither here nor there. I could try and argue that all day. But it's certainly like, the fact of the matter is that there's such a big population of not, I suppose, Irish, um, generational Irish people, so people with Irish heritage, first generation Irish. Like I, I say, my first three weeks here, I ran into four lads I went to school with. Um, so Guinness is always going to have a place when there's that many Irish around. And I think it's a case where when it has a place, that's when the locals are like, oh, well, my friend likes Guinness and he introduced me to it and now I'm a Guinness drinker. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What have you loved from Australia drinking so oh, far? Why did you ask that question? Come on. I want to know. <laughs> Guinness what? brand ambassador. I want to know what it's Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. The Fair beers enough. that impressed me so far, um, one of the beers that impressed me big time is Little Creatures Pale Ale. Uh, really enjoyed it. Thought it was supremely balanced. I had- Hang on, uh, that's the same stable. Technically, in Australia, oh, for as in lion yeah, distribution, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But that's how I tried it. Yeah, I was okay, in the lion right, bar, right, and they were right. like, "Do you want oh, fair to enough. try a Oh, don't shy away <laughs> from that. Yeah. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to. Yeah, no, I get it, man. Yeah, I, uh, I, I she had the little creatures extra pale, the new single batch just one. Before, just yeah. before I haven't tried here. that yet. I Delicious, saw the just on the on tap at Hopscotch down the road here. I had one. Right, if you're trying to get me outside my comfort zone, I am. Had a, so I have a very good friend living in Melbourne. Uh, he's here, my friend Connor's living here with his wife from the USA. And we went to a Melbourne victory game last Friday to get some local culture. Yeah. And afterwards he was like, what kind of bar do you want to go to? And I was like, oh, easy going, no worries at all. And he said, well, you've been in Irish bars all week. How about we take you to something a bit off the beaten track? Said, Absolutely. So we to a bar called Bartronica. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like video game bar. Yeah. Played some Mortal Kombat, played some Street Fighter. They had a pale ale there that I was expecting nothing from that I absolutely loved. What yeah. was it? Do you remember? I, it was just I called Bartronica. Bartronica oh, right. Pale yeah. Ale. Yeah. It was there all, like I don't know who brews it for them because I didn't look it up. Yeah. But I found it on Untapped. It was there. And yeah. my God. It was that sort of it had that fruity balance where like 
the sweetness was the forefront, but okay. it did, yeah, it had a little bit of a bitter kick on the end, but it didn't have that sort of some pale ales, like if, if you know, they're not big batch or anything like that, as in if they don't have big distribution, sometimes they can be a bit inconsistent, let's say, but this one was, I found supremely balanced. Uh, they had another one that I didn't get to try. Um, what else have I tried while I've been over here? Furfy, and I know that's the same stable again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's my exposure to it. It's going to be the biggest um, selling beer in Australia soon, by the way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. making a huge push. Yeah, and uh, I, I visited another good friend of mine, Steve, who's living out. He's married out in Newcastle, and uh, he's got a pool table out his back garden. And we we had a lovely couple of bottles of two. He's new, and my God, it was just perfectly refreshing. And then circumstantial again. Exa yeah. Exactly. And then we we did the next morning. Um, or the next afternoon, we went out to have some lunch and I saw something called Two Is Old. Yeah. Brown Ale. It's not bad. Yeah, I used to like that. Big yeah. fan, big fan yeah. of Newcastle United Football Club. Okay. So the big beer over there is Newcastle Brown Ale. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm in Newcastle, uh, it's probably the only city in the world where I don't go to try the Guinness. I always get a Newcastle Brown Ale because it's part of my match day trip when I go and see a game. And the Two Is Old reminded me a lot of the yeah. Newcastle Brown Ale, so I enjoy that as well. Um, and there are more, and there will be more. I'm only 33% roughly into my trip, uh, so there will be more too. But um, yeah, like I, it's it's an it's a very very intriguing beer market, and there's there's a lot there. Yeah, it's at a weird place. I feel yeah um, of its uh, infancy still, but um, we're oh, of course, right? Yeah, but uh, like there's no. That's the great thing about beer is that it'll consistently develop. Like if you look at the American beer market. Everybody was crazy on pale ales. Then they were like, oh, we're kind of bored of them. And then IPAs came in, and then double IPAs, right? Now, the double IPAs never really got the same fandom because they're a little bit more niche. But that's when some of the IPA lads started going two ways. One of them went off to sours, and one of them were like session IPAs. And they kind of split in that regard. Now, what I haven't been in the States in about a year. What I'm told is that stouts are now, the, like, that's where the next trend is going. And in a lot of places, nitro stouts, <laughs> believe yeah. it or not. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But there's no end to it, and people—it's cyclical. So to say that it's in its beginnings, um, funny you mentioned that. Actually, it will never kind of like, end. The only one know? I can think so, of is the Denver, the Left Hand Brewing. Left Company, Hand Milk Stout, and purely yeah, yeah. because of their the pour method. Their nitro milk stout, the hard pour. The hard pour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, no, just so like the, the Firestone Walker just bought out Firestone Milk. I think in, in the same yeah the same concept. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, but it's funny how that sort of like. Delivery is what sticks in your mind. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want to plug anything before we wrap up? I feel like you've just and and I, I say this with with all great respect. You've talked me around to Guinness again, <laughs> uh, and I know it's your job to do that. But um, yeah. yeah, really, really. Okay, good. so but, yeah, Don Marnell's good at his job. Here yeah. we, 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 you heard it here first, boss. Um, yeah, I mean, no, I like I've I've talked, and it, it's not plugs. It's it's things I want to make people aware of. Hoppers thirteen. If you're looking for a more um, I suppose a hoppy option to a lager, but not quite a pale ale. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And look, I'm I'm gonna be around. Um, if you've got listeners, yeah, a lot. In, I guess yeah, you're around a lot. <laughs> I'm gonna be in Perth, Brisbane, Darwin, Adelaide, Hobart, Gold Coast, Cairns. What is Guinness drinkers in Darwin like? Still, I guess you'll find I'm out. Doing, right? I'm doing exactly 24 hours in Darwin. Yeah. Um, but there's one account that was very keen to have me out. Okay. And I am more than happy to go. Sure, like yeah. I've been out in. Um, I, I, SPF 50 plus. That's what you need. The, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I've been, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need it. But I, I was out in Linda now. Uh, I took the train to um, Barnsdale or oh, Barnsdale yeah. oh, yeah. the other day yep. just to go to a pub called uh, the Searsha Inn in Linda now in a town of 350. But they had expressed an interest in, in having me there to do a prezzo. And I am more than happy to do that. You know, cool. like I say, I'm, how was it? 
It was great. Yeah. No, and the, the, the people were lovely. Like, it was a far cry from what we see around here. But there was like, there was almost like a Guinness Appreciation Society out there. And man, like, to be completely honest, there were moments where I was just like, I was touched because I was like, these people who've never even been to Ireland just have this affinity for Guinness. The owner of the bar drew me. She does drawings. She drew me a harp. And like, here you go. That's for you to take home. And I was like, this is the hospitality is amazing. So it's incredible. Like I walked in and the local paper showed up. The fact that I was there was news. And I was like, that's wow. So it's slow town. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like honestly, the, the, the sales reps here have been fantastic. The lion team here have been bloody amazing at getting me booked, getting me the right places. And we're only getting started. You know, we really are. So hopefully if I've done my job right, uh, by the time I leave here, April 30th, by the time I leave the country, there will be a difference in how people view Guinness. And if I can do that, I'll be happy. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and hopefully you enjoy the rest of your trip. Hopefully it all goes as smoothly as it's gone already. Yeah. And you get more pictures drawn of you. Mm -hmm. uh, cheers. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure, lads. I hope you enjoyed that chat with um, brand ambassador Don from Guinness. Yeah, for sure. You got a recommendation for me, Dave? I do. What do you want to start with? Let's go beer. All right. Well, um, very, very recent release. A time of recording. It's got released last night, if I'm not much mistaken. Uh, and it's the new packaged offering from Lusserine Brewing, the Citray Sour. That can looks so good. It looks so good on media and it looks so good in real life it's uh just like the urban pale can design but orange and looks gorgeous um and it's a it's an, a simple sour with orange in it and it's delicious it reminded me of a beer version of a aperol spritz and that's relevant to my interests so i thoroughly enjoyed it and i yeah can recommend anyone that uh also appreciates that sort of flavor profile to get on board because it is good. Awesome. Good one. How about you? Uh, well, last night I went to a bottle share, which I think I've recommended bottle shares in the past, but it's the first one I've been to for a long time. Um, it's just an a old group of friends. We've been doing the same kind of – everyone just brings a couple of random bottles uh, with no real theme. I think since 2012 it's been happening. Uh, and last night we all got together – for the first time in a year or so and really good mix of bottles, really good mix of people. Uh, everyone bought some cheese. We ate a lot of cheese. I feel like I'm half cheese at the moment. And it was just a reminder of why beer is fun and why getting together with people. And maybe, you know, it's not necessarily about the beer itself. No, it's, it's almost the, secondary, but the like those sort of bottle shares, the sheer enthusiasm about the beers, yeah. makes it about the beers, but that also... Is a, is a element in itself. Anyway, tons of fun. So if you've got a handful of mates that, you know, have probably got a few beers in the cellar, uh, say, hey, let's catch up and do it. Catch up with your friends. Yeah, and drink some that's beer. the real recommendation. Yeah. You know what else is also an offshoot of that? If you see a beer that you want to, that you are intrigued by, but you don't think you'll drink it all yourself, just get it and then have it, just hold share it until it you have a, a, yeah. a bottle share. Yeah. Let's do some non-beer. Sure. Uh, I'll kick off again with my high country theme. Um, a relatively new resident of Bright is uh, Gumtree Pies. I've probably been there for 
Less than a year because they weren't there in my last uh, my last March trip, but they were there in my September trip. Center of town, pie shop, probably the best pies I've ever had. Awesome. Uh, they do about uh, 15 pies at any given time and they also um, – they do cold pies for takeaway. Yeah. So not frozen, yep. cold. Yep. So there's uncooked pies, which is probably the best way to do takeaway pies, I would have thought. But uh, premium ingredients, delicious. Mm. So good. So good. I've got six pies in my freezer right now. What fl- uh, mixture of flavors? Or? Yeah, I was two steak and pepper. I'm a steak and pepper yeah, uh, dude. That's, that's, my, that's my jam. Um uh, creamy cauliflower and steak and mushroom were the ones that I went for. So Sounds like a party. They're incredible. Anyone in the area, if you don't go there, you're crazy. It also took the mantle. I think a recommendation out of the past has been the Ned Kelly pie mm. from Beechworth Bakery. Yeah. You can go to Hillsville or whatever the things for that are. Yeah. Legendary pie. Wouldn't even bother going anywhere near it after a gum tree pie. So yeah. I haven't had the Ned Kelly, but I've had other pies from Beechworth Bakery. Yep. Do not. Do not rate them. Well, I wouldn't get any pie besides the Ned okay. Kelly. So, yeah. like, I mean, we got caught unawares. We thought just for – because the other thing that's thrown us is that we normally don't stay in Beechworth. We stay in Bright and do a day trip into Beechworth. Normally, it would be – the only meal choice would be a Ned Kelly pie because mm. that's part of the reason why we're there. But there's a pastrami sandwich at the beach, at the Bridge Road Brewery that is that – outstanding that has taken over the mantle of preferable lunch uh, in our Beechworth pit stop. On the way back, however, we decided to go um, go back in, have a Ned Kelly pie, pick up some honey or whatever from the Beechworth uh, shop. I mean, the if you don't rate the pies, the bee sting and the vanilla slice from the bakery is still pretty outstanding. So I took a couple of those home. Thought we'd get a Ned Kelly for that day's lunch. Didn't have any uh, available. So I got like a, I don't know, it's just some other who cares pie. Yeah. Because not the Nick Kelly. Absolutely shattered. Yeah. Because yeah. we'd been spoiled with gum tree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, phenomenal. Awesome. Gum tree pies. I love it. Luke. I'm going to recommend an album, country western album, uh, by Angelina Presley. Don't know what year it came out. 2014, surely. No, I think 2017. Yeah, 2017. Wrangled is the name of the album. It's her second album. I've been on a bit of a country kick lately. I do like me some country and western. And like this is good country and western. Are you a Sturgill fan? I could be, but I haven't really. I'm kind of scratching the surface of it uh, at the moment. And I found this album kind of good old-fashioned country, but it's a... I don't know, it's a modern version of good old-fashioned country okay. with it's not like cheesy pop country. It's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it's been on high rotation, that album, lately. So check it out. Nice. Dave, where do people find you on the internet? At MelDave, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Dave at com. Send me an email. Love to hear something. Anything. Luke, you. You can get me at Ale of a Time, aleofatime.com, Luke at Ale of a Time, and at... Hypothepod for the Hypothetical Institute podcast. Two, like the last two episodes have been really fun. So, yeah, check them out if you want some cooked conspiracy gear. Sure. Who doesn't want some uh, CCG? Thanks, Dave. No worries. <laughs>